of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Great to be with you today. And uh, I am today continuing or actually concluding this series on the five solas. I have done five episodes, one for each of the five solas. And today is going to be sort of a, uh, a conclusion and a summary. And um, as I as I mentioned, this will all appear in a book. The title of the book, I will let you know, and hopefully this will be out in the next few months. I've already been working on it. Um, it is going to be called simply The Five Solas, A Concise Gospel Presentation. Uh, it will not be anything um, really terribly, you know, incredibly deep or academic in nature, um, because the five solas are really a the fundamentals of the gospel. Um, and so it, it'll probably be about 100 pages or so, maybe a little over. I'm still working on it, but um, uh, that will be out at some point. And so this is going to be sort of a summary um, of the the five solas. And, and even um, much of it is probably what I will put in the introduction of the book. It's going to be a primer of the five solas today. And um, you may ask, why am I doing this at the end of the uh, the series instead of at the beginning? Um, this is the way I write. This is the way that I think. Um, and this is the way that I was taught by my doctoral thesis supervisor um, and director about writing um, uh, books and uh, theses. Basically, uh, save the introduction for last. And so as I've uh, delved into this material, as I've uh, pontificated. I am able to take this ma- material and synthesize it, uh, and so create a sort of uh, summary of it. So, and that's what this is going to be today. So, uh, let me just back up a little bit and tell you a little story about me. Uh, like all believers, the gospel message has infiltrated and changed my life in miraculous ways, and. Um, I believe that about every Christian. There are some people that may say, well, not every Christian has been changed in a miraculous way. Well, if they haven't, that person is not a Christian. Every single Christian has been changed in a miraculous way. Now, there may be varying degrees of um, their growth in Christ and that sort of thing, but every Christian has been miraculously changed. And so while I was in college at the University of Mary Hardin Baylor, I discovered Reformed theology, and it was sort of a second awakening to my Christian faith. Um, there was a young lady that was a friend of mine that uh, we were talking one day, and she told me she was Calvinist, and I was almost offended that she told me that because I was not a Calvinist. I think I was not, I was about twenty years old at the time, and uh, I was a junior, and uh, she. And we begin to have this discussion, and uh, for several days afterwards, we had many discussions, and it's, this went on for about a period of six months. I would call her, uh, we would meet for coffee. I would, uh, my goal in all of this was to prove her wrong, and I set out for six months r- studying, researching. Romans nine was, I mean, I probably just about had it memorized. I was doing everything possible to prove her wrong, 
and to no avail. In fact, everything that I said, she would easily refute it because what I was saying, <laughs> I couldn't refute or what she was saying, I couldn't refute. Um, I would, uh, at best, what I was doing was taking scripture and trying to fit it to what I believe and what I wanted it to say. And so I simply would uh, throw a scripture at her and and try to explain it and say, well, that isn't saying this, it's saying this. And we do that so often with scripture and the words are there clear as day. And we try to twist it to fit our narrative so much. And, and I've gotten to the point where I, I less and less I do that. It's just, it's there. If it says it, it says it. And I'm not saying there, you shouldn't interpret Scripture. Uh, everybody has a hermeneutic, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we need to be careful. Uh, we need to be careful that hermeneutics do not outweigh what Scripture already says. And so I eventually came to the point where this is there. I can't deny it. I don't like it, but it's there. And I've grown to love it now. And so it was during this time when I was looking into that, that I became aware of the five solas. And so upon, upon grappling with the weight of the gospel truth in the five solas and also reconciling it with their rudimentary principles, the most profound realization I had was the necessity and the vitality of these five core doctrines. And so the apparent recognition for me at that time was that within the five solas lies a concise gospel presentation mediated through Christ alone and for the glory of God alone. And so this material I've gone over is simple in its message, and it serves as a fundamental call to all believers to get back to the basics, namely the doxological and theological life-changing truths of the five solas. And so this is a primer today of what the five solas are. So the five solas might be considered a man-made device by some, but their essence is found in the complete affirmation of Christian doctrine and biblical authority. Their formation is fueled, uh, or it was fueled, in fact, during the Reformation by a corrupt church during the Protestant Reformation era, but it's directly tied to a return to fund biblical fundamentals. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, and the glory of God alone are unbreakably connected to each other. They contain gospel truth rich with depth, but they also hold to the simplicity of core tenets of the Christian faith. And so to fully understand the five solas, we need to understand the foundation of their formation. So I'm going to get into a little bit of history uh, here today. So let's go back to the 5th century. There was a controversy that arose uh, when Augustine wrote this, he, he says this, Give what thou commandest and command what thou will. And he writes that, uh, it's quoted from Confessions. Uh, Pelagius, at the time, believed that these words would give Christians a feeble excuse to disobey God. Pelagius himself did not believe in original sin, but he leaned toward a works-based soteriological view. Augustine, however, taught the total depravity of humankind because of, not in spite of, Adam's fall. Um, in, in many ways, Reformed theology is a return to Augustinian theology. Um, and Augustine really <laughs> was a return to New Testament theology. And so throughout church history, you have this return. You have Augustine returning the church to the early church theology, the church, you know, prior uh, three or four centuries before him. 
in Jesus and Paul's day, really, um, you have Augustine returning to New Testament era theology, uh, and then you have the Reformers returning to Augustinian theology, and even now there's a resurgence of Reformed theology returning to that. And so, for whatever reason, the church gets off track and then returns. And so, um, Augustine believed in the total depravity of humankind. Pelagius did not. Uh, the Westminster Cons- Confession speaks of original corruption and death to sin through Adam. And what this means is that humans are depraved by nature and in need of salvation. And salvation is offered through these five solas alone. In other words, it has nothing to do with anything that we do or do not do. So let me go through them. The, the doctrine of sola gratia excludes the biblical idea, uh, sorry, exudes the biblical idea that humankind is radically depraved, as I just mentioned, depraved by nature and in need of God's grace. So sola gratia teaches that humanity needs God's grace. In fact, I would say it is the greatest need of humanity. And it's given to people not based on merit, but based on the already accomplished work of Jesus Christ. So, uh, moving on, when we talk about the five solas, we talk about uh, grace alone, there's also faith alone. Uh, the, the Reformers disagreed with the Roman Catholic notion that justification is not by faith alone. The Roman Catholics believed that that justification is not by faith alone. What they believed is that charity and hope must be added. And this this is evident in the Council of Trent in 1547. But the Reformers argued that God's standard, so if if, if they're saying that that, uh, it's not faith alone, but it's hope and charity need to be added, they're saying that there's some sort of work that you must adhere to and you must meet God's standard. But God's standard, according to the Reformers, is complete perfection. That's found in Matthew 5.48. And no human is capable of that. Further, the absolute perfection that we're talking about here is only available in Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus imputed righteousness as the only means and only necessity for Christian salvation. Now, we get off track sometimes because we say we believe that. We say we believe uh, that, that um, it's not by works, but it's by grace through faith. Uh, we say that quite often. We quote the scripture. It is by grace you are saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. And we, we say we believe that. But yet how often, and th- th- this, is, this becomes evident when someone sins, and let's say it's a very heinous sin, a very... Um, terrible sin, a magnificent sin, uh, and maybe even a public sin. Someone in the public eye sins or they have a fall. How often, even if it's not a Christian, how often do we hear things like, there's a special place in hell for this person? Or, you know, something like that. Or even if we know the person, how often do we treat them differently? Well, they deserve this. And you're probably right about that, but we all deserve exactly the same thing. And and it really proves that deep down, we do not believe in grace by faith alone. What we are saying is that there is some sort of work that people need to do. That there, 
even though this person committed this act, we say there's a special place in hell for them. What if they're a Christian? What if they are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? And they just, they made a great mistake. What if that is the case? Is there still a special place in hell for them? Absolutely not. In fact, there are people that live far more moral lives than they do. And probably in many ways from the outside looking in, uh, are, are just better people in general. They're nicer, they're kinder, they do better things, yet they're not believers in Christ. They will spend eternity, eternity in hell while this person who committed this magnificent sin will spend eternity with Christ. That's crazy to think about, but that, that goes to prove how much it has nothing to do with us, but only Jesus Christ. And so perfection is only available in Christ, and he has imputed his righteousness upon his people. And so sola fide, faith alone, continues this progression of the, uh, of the five solas in a way unmistakably supported by Scripture. The fi- in the five solas, there is no room for human merit because no work suffices but that God sovereignly opens the eyes of unbelieving hearts to truly see him and be changed by his glory. Even when someone says you are saved for accept by, by accepting Christ, that is not true. You are saved because Christ has sovereignly opened your eyes. It is all something he did. It is not anything you did. And if, if you say you are saved because you accepted Christ, you are saying you are saved because of something you did. That is not why you are saved. What happens first is Christ opens and awakens you. It is not that you accept him and then you you are saved. It is he awakens you and you receive him. That is it. So during the Reformation, there was not a disagreement between Protestants and the Catholic Church on the person of Christ, but the work of Christ. And so where Rome designed an elaborate system of sacramental works, reformers understood that Christ's substitutionary merit alone saves his people. This was a big deal for Martin Luther, this sacramental system of uh, uh, selling of indulgences and that type of thing. When the Catholic Church, while they employed priests to carry out the work of God, including forgiveness, reformers realized not only that no human is able to grant God's forgiveness, but also that believers have a direct connection with God through Jesus Christ. This is known as priesthood of the believer. And this is a significant aspect to Luther's 95 theses. Uh, when he nailed them on the door, this was one of the big deals. And the selling of indulgences really was the straw that broke the camel's back for him. It was the idea that, you know, you have two people, one's rich, one's poor, the, the rich person comes to a priest and says, uh, you know, I, I've uh, had an affair. I need forgiveness. And the priest says, oh, okay, well, um, you know, we need a new golden altar. And he says, yeah, I can give some money. He says, okay, well, you're forgiven. And then the poor person comes and says, well, I, I told a lie. I need to be forgiven. Okay, well, can you give some money to the church? No, I can't. I can't afford it. Well, you're doomed. You're going to burn. I mean, that's that's what this literally was in the Catholic Church, the selling of indulgences. And it infuriated Martin Luther. And so his, his deal was priesthood of the believer. People do not need to go to a priest for forgiveness. They can go directly to God through Jesus Christ. Christ alone, this doctrine of Christ alone, infers the absolute necessity of Jesus and not only the unnecessity and futility of anything else, but the hopelessness thereof. 
So continuing this, then there is sola scriptura, scripture alone. This became a resounding theme during the Reformation era to the point that the pulpit became a central item in Protestant worship. Uh, This is actually one thing I sort of disagree with uh, because uh, there really should not be a most important part to Christian worship. It is all a dialogue between God and his people. If anything, the Lord's table should be the pinnacle. And so sola scriptura, though, it doesn't negate confessions or creeds. There are a lot of people that say, I have no creed but the Bible. Even that itself is a creed, if you are stating that. Uh, and, and to pr- profess that is, is professing a creed. And so it doesn't negate confessions or creeds, but what it does do is it supports the, fish, the sufficiency, the authority, and the perfection of the Bible. And so this material that I've grappled with uh, discusses various discrepancies and interpretive difficulties, including that of Scripture's reliability. And so the episode where I discuss Sola Scriptura uh, talks about the history of Scripture and, and its reliability. Suffice it to say that all of the five solas are not only seen in the text of Scripture, but are also stalwartly tied to the Bible's gospel message. And Reformers sought to return to the basics of the gospel found in Scripture alone, rather than to adhere to man-made, often good, for good reasons, regulations. Uh, but these, the, the previous three solas, uh, grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone, are true because Scripture alone confesses them. Christianity, then, is by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone. So the final one is soli deo gloria, the glory of God alone. And this is the chief end and the overarching sola, which governs the other four solas. The purpose of grace, faith, Christ's mediation, and the Bible, therefore, is the glory of God alone. Soli deo gloria is both the beginning and and the end of the five solas. Listen to this quote uh, from Keith Matheson. Um, This is on the Reformation Bible College blog. He says this, The Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures to the glory of God alone. Christ humbled himself to the point of death and was raised and exalted to the right hand of the Father to the glory of God alone. Grace and mercy are offered to rebellious sinners to the glory of God alone. Justification is by faith alone to the glory of God alone. Soli Deo Gloria, therefore, is central. For, for the Reformers, the basic tenets of Christianity needed to be recovered. And the place to start was Soli Deo Gloria. And this is the place to end. And that's true for us today as well. When the glory of God is the issue and perspective, everything else is understood and handled correctly. And furthermore, it should be stated that sin, and it should be known really, it should be obvious that sin is the opposite of God's glory. In other words, when one sins, he or she really has lost sight of the glory of God. The glory of God alone can be summed up in the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, Uh, The glory of God alone does not mean that sin glorifies God, but it does mean that he uses it for his glory, ultimately, for his people. And so the five solas encompass a concise but clear picture of the gospel, of salvation, redemption, 
and sanctification, uh, sanctification, and all of these happen by grace through faith in Christ according to Scripture and all for the glory of God alone. And so to understand the basics of the gospel is to understand the five solas. And so the aim of, of these episodes has been to present not a Reformation history lesson, but a concise gospel presentation of the gospel through the truth of the five solas. And so stemming from the richness of good news in the Bible, the five solas became a tool during the Protestant Reformation to return the church to the basic tenets of Christian faith. And so the solas were a recovering of something ancient rather than a creation of something new. In a summarizing and clear manner, the five solas offer believers what should be the biblical beliefs of every Christian. So salvation and Christian living are employed and accomplished by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and to the glory of God alone. And each sola works with and is linked to the others to execute the overarching plan God has ordained, namely his own glory through his faithfulness in redemption. So I hope that this uh, series, these episodes have been beneficial. Uh, they have edified. Uh, we will, the next episode, I will get into something else, but uh, this has been beneficial for me and I hope it has for you as we have dived into the five solas and examined these as a concise gospel presentation. So thank you for uh, staying with me on this and listening. And uh, thank you today for listening to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones.